right? Do you get to a point where you're like, okay, this is fun. This isn't fun anymore. I'm done having fun. Primarily because it can get really drawn out depending on the way the rules are established. Because you get that whole stealing thing going on, and then it's like, it just goes on forever and ever, forever. <laughs> well, we went to uh, some friends uh, this week. In fact, it's a group of friends that we've known for over 20 years. And every year, the only time we see each other every year is at Christmas. It's a group of couples that get together and we celebrate. And every year, there's a white elephant gift exchange. And we're driving on the way, and I'm thinking, I didn't tell Megan this, but I'm thinking, I have to sit through another one of these things. As people are exchanging, right, like the can of beans that has been on the shelf for two years. You know, every now and again, though, you get, there's a nice gift that shows up. Someone had a gift card for Starbucks, and I'm like, right on. And they're like, oh, but there's only 38 cents on it. I'm like, that's just, that's just wrong. That's just cruel. So I'm like, so we're going to have to sit through, you know, and it's fun, but we're going to have to sit through an hour and a half of exchanging gifts that we really don't want right? Or, or, or tolerating somebody's inside joke that you don't really get, right? You've been on the... Well, at one point in the gift exchange, one of the gals picks up a gift and she takes out of the box, well, there was a gravy boat and two pre-packaged, pre-made glass jars of gravy, which I didn't even know was a thing. I was like, oh, that, that sounds appetizing. And then they pulled out this, which was in its wrapping. <laughs> you know what it is. It's a, it's a clamp-style multimeter made by a company called Flair. Um, and my eyes kind of perked up. <laughs> yeah. I was like, hey, that's not bad. And so when it came to my turn, there, was 11, there were 17 people, and I had number 11. So I'm like, okay, that's good. That's good. And I went over, and I, I was like, I will take that bag with the multimeter. You know what's funny is that no one even tried to steal it from me. <laughs> The reason was, is I have, I have great friends, but none of the guys that I hung out with in this group are mechanical at all, right? Because they didn't know what this is. Turns out, this, is a, this company that makes this multimeter, which does some pretty amazing things in regards to electricity, Jacques, you'll have to explain to me how to use it later. Um, uh, our friend Brad, who, who works for this company, had it in his garage. It was one of their samples. It's... Is valued over $300. Over $300. It was brand new in the box. Over $300. I got to tell you, I felt differently about that white elephant gift exchange. (laughs) And what was funnier even than that was afterwards when Brad started telling everyone how much this was worth, there was instant regret, right? I could have sold that. I could have made some money. When you don't know what something is, you don't value it, right? When you don't know what's... Now, I was like, I can use that. In fact, I used it yesterday. I took it home, unpacked it. I had an electrical outlet that wasn't working. I mean, come on, this thing is just cool. It's just cool. It's got, it's got like a, a flashlight on it. It, it. It's just cool. And I was like, I'm going to use this. I'm going to put this to use. I was watching YouTube videos of how to use it, thinking this is amazing. This is a great gift. If you don't know what the value of something is, you won't value it. You won't care about it until someone explains to you what the value is, and then you're like, okay, I'm going to take better care of that, right? If you don't know something's an heirloom, you're not, you're not going to guard it or protect it. You know, I've been thinking about uh, these fires that are burning right now, 
and how people are being evacuated and in a moment's notice are having to decide what to take with them. And what do you always hear? Pictures, right? Your passport, right? Like, like treasures, things that are like your spouse. That's good, Jim. Um, these, these are things that are valuable. And it causes you to really evaluate in a moment's notice what's most important to us. I believe there's things in the Word of God that we don't fully understand and don't value because we've not had them reveal the way they need to be. As I was studying this week for Prince of Peace, this name Prince of Peace, this is the journey I had. Something that was just a name to me earlier in the week has become something very precious to me by today. And I believe it will for you as well says that Mary, when Gabriel came and shared with her about what was going to happen, she says that she treasured those things in her heart. We can treasure the Word of God in such a way, we can hide it away in, in our hearts in such a way that it can change our lives, that it can tra- change the trajectory of our lives, it can change the way that we see people, the way that we see circumstances, the way that we understand things. God wants his word today to permeate our hearts and do things in our lives. He's our prince of peace. So let's take a look at this this morning. First of all, he's our prince. You know, when when you say the word prince today, most of us will think of a few different things. We'll either think of Purple Rain or Charles, William, and Harry, right? Because the word prince doesn't carry the same meaning as it did in biblical times. You see, Jesus is not that kind of prince. Thank God. He's not that kind of prince. He's a prince of the old tradition. Yes, he's the son of the king. But that's not what makes him a prince. He's a prince for this reason. He's a prince because he is an ambassador and an emissary from God. See, in the old times when you would read about a prince, the prince of a nation would come. In fact, the three kings are also called princes. They were ambassadors or they were officials from a government, from a neighboring nation that went somewhere else with authority, with the authority of the king on them to go and make decisions, to make peace, to declare war to negotiate terms, to, to make trade. And so this, the prince would carry this, this, this role of authority upon them. There's an ambassador, an, an emissary, an overseer, a ruler, a captain or commander, one in authority and one who has authority. So that word prince, it's the word sar, carries a lot of depth and meaning. Now you wouldn't have known that, Unless you studied it or someone showed that to you, right? You wouldn't value that word as much as you would if you knew what it means. Jesus is your overseer. He's your captain, your commander. He is the one who has come as an emissary, an ambassador from God to negotiate the terms of a new covenant with us. He is our prince. And he has the full rights and authority to do what he came to do. Couple that then with Peace. He is the prince of shalom. Sar shalom is the way that it's written in the Hebrew. He is sar shalom. We understand peace from an English stand, English point of view this way. In fact, the dictionary says it like this. 
peace is a freedom from disturbance or a state or a period where there is no war. That's it. Now there's a few, few other descriptors, but that pretty much wraps up. That's what peace is. A, free, the, the, a state of no war, right, and a freedom from disturbance. No one's bugging me, right? Could I just have some peace, right? Just leave me alone. Leave me in peace. If we were to take that word in the Hebrew and translate it into English, here's some of the words, just some of the words that we could use to translate shalom. Salvation, deliverance, prosperity, security, success, welfare, intactness. That's a good one. Intactness, health, completeness, wholeness, and even more. This is what Jesus means by being our peace. He has the authority to secure for us, to negotiate for us, to oversee and command for us our salvation, to command and direct our deliverance, to negotiate and, 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 and impart prosperity and security, to fight for us for success and for our welfare, to, to, to come into our lives and bring the broken part of our lives and bring them into a place where they're intact, where they're made whole, to minister health. He has the authority to, to bring healing in our lives, to bring completeness where we feel like we lack, and to bring wholeness to people who are empty. He is our Prince of Peace. This is what that name delineates and what it means for us. So what does this look like on a practical level? There's two places where God's peace, where Jesus functions as a prince of peace for us. The first is this. He allows it and he makes it so that we can have peace with God. Peace with God. In 1962, a man named Don Richardson moved himself and his wife and their seven-month-old baby to West Papua, Indonesia, which is just north of Australia. And they went with the, the purpose to minister to the Sawi tribe, who were a cannibalistic tribe, in Papua New Guinea. Now this tribe was interesting in that they, uh, they valued treachery. They valued treachery. See, one of the highest honors for them would be if I could make friends with you and draw you really close and get really close to you and, and, and draw you into my life and then at some point turn around and take your life well, and then do what cannibals do. That would, to them, was like you, you had made it. You were someone, if you could pull that off and kill your best friend, invite them over for dinner. Takes a whole different meaning, right? <laughs> Some of you are like, wait, what? Oh, sorry, can't help it. Don Richardson makes a decision to take his family into this community. Seven-month-old son. You know, it's amazing, as he started sharing the story of Jesus, you know who became the hero in that story? Judas. Judas was the hero. They were like, wait, he, he responded to a call from Jesus, lived with him for three years, and then betrayed him? That guy's awesome. And so the story of Easter didn't play well with them. 
But what, what Don would later write in, in his book, he used to serve at the Center for World Missions right here in Pasadena, and he wrote about redemptive stories that exist in every culture, that God has deposited in every nation, in every culture, stories that are redemptive in nature that point back to who he is. And the Sawi people happened to have one of these, and it played out the very first day they arrived in the tribe. See, he stepped out of a canoe holding his son in his arms. And in that culture, if you came into a new village and presented your child, that child was called a peace child. In fact, in order to negotiate peace between two villages, the, the, the chief of one village would take his son and, and would deliver that son and give that son to the other village. And as long as that son lived, there would be peace between those two villages. There would be no war. So Don Richardson arrives with his son in his arms, an expression unknown to him of peace in that community, and they receive him and his family, and ultimately they get to evangelize. They, 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 they had no written language. They, they created a written language. They said they had some words in the Sawi language that a verb would have 600 tenses, and they had to figure that out, create a written language, and then translate the Bible into, a langu- in, into, into their language so that they can then reach other people. And there's a thriving group of Christians within that community now because of their, because of their sacrifice. But the door was open because of a baby that was presented. And so what he then realized is, I can present the gospel not from the per- perspective of the cross, but from the perspective of the manger, here's the God in heaven who presents his son, who gives his son to the other tribe as a peace offering. And Jesus is born as our prince of peace, that he comes to secure for us our peace. Now, here's, here's the interesting thing. In that culture, there was peace as long as that son was alive. When you consider that Jesus is eternal, that he died and then he rose from the dead and he will never die again, that he has secured for us an eternal peace. He is indeed our prince of peace. Ephesians chapter 2, 11 through 18 says this, Therefore remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth are called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands. Remember at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ for he himself is our peace who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we have both access to the Father. We both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Paul writing here 
to the church in a time when they were struggling with division between the Jews and the Gentiles, where a wall of hostility was being built on the inside of the church. And Paul's reminder is, whoa, 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 don't you remember that Jesus came to remove the wall of hostility that existed between you and God? Because of sin in the, in the Garden of Eden, the sin committed by Adam and Eve, because God is a righteous God, he had to separate himself from us. Not just because of punishment, and definitely there's a consequence there, but there's even an act of mercy there, see, because sinful man cannot live in the presence of a holy God. And so he brings a separation between himself and man for our preservation, and then proceeds all through the Old Testament where we read this, God works to reveal himself to us, to draw us as close as we possibly can to his presence takes that role upon himself. But the fact remained that there was a separation between God and man. As evidenced by the priests in the Old Testament would go into the Holy of Holies to minister at the altar on behalf of the people. And it was said of them that they would purify themselves in such a way that, that, that they had to make sure that there was no sin. Because when they stepped into the Holy of Holies, if there was any unrepentant sin in their lives, they would drop dead. I don't want that job. And can I tell you as a pastor, I'm glad that's not the case anymore. (laughs) There was a wall, there was a curtain, there was a hostility that existed between God and man. And God took it on himself to rectify the problem. To say, I'm not okay with this hostility. I'm not okay with this dividing wall. There is no peace between God and man, so I will send my son, who will be a prince of peace, who will usher in a season of peace between God and man. We were enemies of God, but we are no longer enemies. We're sons and daughters, we're friends of God, co-heirs with Jesus Christ. Verse 14, he himself is our peace. This is so significant for us. He doesn't just give us peace. He doesn't just preach about peace or talk about peace, teach about peace. He himself is our peace. He has secured for us a peace that we could not secure for ourselves. He has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. See, because of Jesus Christ and his peace, We have peace with God. We have peace with God. And because we have peace with God, we have full access. Hebrews says that we can come boldly before the throne. Why? Because we have peace. Because Jesus is our peace. He has secured that peace. But you know what's amazing is? Is that that peace doesn't just extend to to us between our relationship with God and and, and our, our person, ourselves. It also exists for us on a human level. And Paul's addressing that here with the Ephesian church saying, listen, God tore down this wall of hostility, so why would you be hostile to each other? If God isn't even treating you this way, why would you treat each other with this kind of hostility? And the peace of God or the peace with God allows us to be at peace with each other. It's a great reminder that every day when things come up or we feel offended or, or hurt or things are happening in our circumstances and our hearts are conflicted. And we can say, wait a minute, God, what are, you, 
What do you say? How would you respond to this? And it sets our minds back to the right place to say, you know, God, you fought for peace. You extended yourself. Jesus, you are my peace. Allow me to live in the same way. He came and preached peace to you who are far away and peace to you who are near. Again, a great picture of Jesus' extending himself. He started with the Jews. He ministered in Israel, but his goal was not to end there. His words were, go into all the world and preach this gospel, this gospel of peace, that those who are far away from God would come near to God. You know that there are people in your life, in your community, in your workplace, in your neighborhood, who are far from God. They are not near to the Lord. Lynn, thank you so much for sharing about your mom. Someone who was far from God, close in proximity to you, but far from God. And there was a journey that needed to take place as God drew her to himself. Those people in your life, that God is saying, I'm your Prince of Peace, but would you extend that peace to those around you, to those people in your life, to those people in your circle? See, he is fighting for reconciliation. Where there is broken relationship, God came to restore. First, our relationship with him, but then also our relationships with each other. Amen? Second place we have peace is this, peace from God. So we have peace with God, but then we have a peace that comes from God, a peace that he brings into our lives. Philippians 4, 6 through 7 says, Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. There's a lot of absolutes in there, aren't there? All. Now pray about anything, in every situation. Present your request to God. And he says that the peace of God which transcends, transcends all understanding, which means if you're the smartest person in the world, if you're the most intelligent person who's ever lived, that the peace of God transcends even your understanding, that we cannot fathom the peace that God brings. We cannot understand fully what it is, but we can experience it. When we know that we're walking in the peace of God and that his hand is upon us, there's nothing like it. See, it's nothing I can muster up. I can't, you know, when I'm stressed, I, I have a hard time just kind of calming myself. I can't talk myself down. What I tend to focus on is my stress. And the more I think about my stress, guess what happens? I get more stressed out, right? The idea, I've like tried the whole breathe. Let me just breathe. No, it doesn't work, at least not for me. What does work is calling on the name of the Lord. Jesus, you are my Prince of Peace. I don't see the peace in this circumstance, but you are my Prince of Peace. Would you bring peace beyond what I can understand? And he does. He's faithful. He is, he is your peace. He, he brings peace from God into your life. And that peace, I love this. What will it do? It will guard your heart. Why is that important? Well, because your heart is the wellspring of life. 
God's peace will guard your heart. See, when I don't allow God's peace to be present in my heart, I get pretty messed up. And the people around me get messed up. My relationships go sideways and things don't go the way I expected them to go. Because I'm trying to do it in my own strength. And my heart starts aching. I say, Lord, let your peace rule and reign in my heart. Let your peace guard my heart. That Jesus wants to establish a perimeter, a boundary, a protection around our hearts when we submit to him. It says, when you bring those requests, you let those things. God doesn't say, don't be anxious. Right? He, sa- he says it, let, let you, let me, <laughs> let me back up. Bring those requests. And because when you bring those requests, you won't have a reason to be anxious. He does say, don't be anxious. Some of you are going, wait a minute. Did I mention I deleted my notes this morning? No, I'm just kidding. Don't be anxious about anything, but by everything. What he's saying is when the anxiety comes, there's not, you know, this picture of God and this idea that he's ready to just slap your hand. He's just ready to slap your hand. I'm having an anxious thought, and God's like, stop it. Just stop it, right? That's not not the heart of God. That's not the heart of God. What Paul is saying here is, listen, there's a better way. And it's not a do not as a, you better not. It's a, hey, there's no reason to. Why would you do that? All right, clear that up a little bit. Thank you. All right. Don't be anxious, because you don't have to be anxious. Let the peace of God guard your heart and rule in your life. See, God brings peace for a few different things. He brings peace for our past hurts. Isaiah 26, verse 3, You will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. I don't know about you, but my past sometimes is right at the forefront of my mind. I think about the stuff I did 20 years ago, mistakes I made, places where things didn't go the way I wanted them to go, right? Anyone, can anyone relate? Am I alone in this? All right. It's amazing, right? Like, I can't remember where I put my keys, but I can remember that conversation I had 18 years ago. And it doesn't lead to a place of peace in my life. Why? Because I'm not focused on the Lord. I'm focused on myself. See, you will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast or who are fixed on you. That steadfastness isn't in me because I'm not steadfast. I'm fickle. I get tossed back and forth. I, feel, I identify more with Paul. Why am I doing the things I'm not supposed to do? I know the right things to do, but I'm not doing it. I'm doing the things I'm not supposed to do. That's, that's what I identify with. He says, no, be steadfast. Fix your mind on me, and I will bring a peace into your life, a perfect peace, because I'm trusting in God. I'm putting my trust there. And so when it comes to our past, God says, listen, I want to bring wholeness. Remember, that's one of the names. I want to bring wholeness. I want to bring restoration. I want to bring intactness where your your thinking is broken and fractured. I want to fix your thinking. Romans chapter 12. B12. 
Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Why? So that there would be an intactness to our mind and our thinking because we're focused on him. And he says, when you're in that place, you will experience perfect peace. The problem is we don't like to stay in that place. We wander back into places where there's turmoil and God says, no, 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 steadfast, steadfast. So I don't know what your past looks like. You have a story. I have a story. There's stuff. Things have happened. And it's not to diminish the past. God cares about where you've come from. He cares about what you've walked through. He wouldn't be your Prince of Peace if he didn't. He would just be your Lord. He would just tell you, get over it. But the Bible says he's our Prince of Peace, our Shalom, our Sar Shalom. Why? So that those places of hurt in our past can be ministered minister to in his presence and find wholeness. And he has the authority to do it. Not just that, he has the desire to do, do it. You know how I know? Because there was a baby born 2,000 years ago. He wouldn't have come if he didn't care. He cares about what you've gone through. He cares about your past. But he wants to minister peace to your past. A peace that surpasses all understanding. He wants to bring peace in the midst of your storms, your present storms. We all walk through storms. We all walk through things in our lives that set us on edge, that, that, that redirect the course of our lives. One day I'm doing great, and the next day I'm going, what just happened? Or maybe it's a year, or maybe it's a few years. I got to talk with a friend of mine this week who we talk every few months, and you know, he's just struggling. He's going, I, I'm, I'm in my 40s, and I just feel like I got derailed years ago, and I've just never been able to get back to a place where I felt like my life has meaning and purpose. And so his storm has lasted over a decade. And he's in a place where he's like, I'm, it's hopeless, I'm done. It's too late. And I'm going, no, it's not too late. Because God is God in the midst of your storm. He is the Prince of Peace in the midst of your storm, in, of the storm you're enduring. Mark 4, 35 says this, On that day when the evening come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him, uh, took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were broke, breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But, the, but he was in the stern, asleep. On the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care? You don't give a rip about us. You just want to take a nap. There's a storm. How do you, how, there's a storm. We're going to die. By the way, these are experienced sailors. Do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace. Be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. And he said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to, to one another, who is this then that even the wind and the sea obey him? You know, I was reading this passage this week and I started thinking, you know, I wonder if Jesus was really speaking to the storm or if he was actually addressing the disciples. Peace, be still. Try it with your kids this week. 
peace. Be still. <laughs> Chuck's like, amen. Something useful. Um, peace. In the midst of this storm, they just come out of a time of great ministry. God had just showed up. It was a high point for them. Oh, right, let's go over to the other side, which Sea of Galilee is really a big lake. It's, it's not really a sea. You can see the other side. It's not that far. And they set out, and this windstorm comes up, and they're freaking out. Jesus is taking a nap. He's taking a nap, and the disciples freak out. And what's their response? You don't care about us. Isn't it amazing that everything else that Jesus had done in that moment was gone? Come on. Can we relate to that? God is faithful. He is faithful. He is faithful. He provides. He directs. He, he speaks. He encourages. And one thing happens. And what do we do? God, you don't care about me. And I think he would say to us, peace, be still. But not in a harsh way. That's me. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Peace. See, he doesn't bring peace by removing the storms. He brings peace in the midst of the storm. Can I say that again? He doesn't bring peace in our lives by saying, you know what? You follow me, no more storms. We heard that this morning, right? Lynn shared that. Some of the greatest trials she's had were after she had a Christian, became a Christian. Peace, be still. He's the God in the midst of the storm. He's not the God who removes the storms. And what he's wanting us to do is to call out to him, not in, a, not in a freaking out kind of way like the disciples did, but more in a knowing, Jesus, you're my Prince of Peace. And I recognize there's a storm going on right now. And I'm not, I'm not enjoying, because I'm not talking about faking it either. Like, woohoo! Right, you got that one person who's like, right on, a storm, let's go for it. Not that, right? It's the guys who go down to the wedge, right? When there's a storm, they're like, I'm going to go boogie boarding today. No, that's not what you do. What you do is you say, God, you're the God of the storm. You're bigger than the storm, and I'm putting my trust in you. And it doesn't matter what we're walking through. Jesus sees what we're in the midst of and wants to be our Prince of Peace in the midst of that. To meet us in that place, to grow our faith. Yes, he will answer your prayer. Yes, he will come through in ways that you can't imagine. Yes, his peace surpasses all understanding. But I've had to learn and you have to learn the fact that it doesn't always go the way you expect it to go. That there's times where Jesus said, I'm doing something in you. I'm doing something in you. We saw a friend of ours at this party this week who uh, he used to work in heavy equipment hauling. That was his job. He would load big equipment onto trailers, and they would transport, transport it. He got laid off three times. And I remember those days. We were hanging out with them back in those days, and, and it was hard. And he was frustrated, and he's like, I don't, I don't know what I'm going to do. I can't just keep, being keep getting laid off. Now, one of his dreams was to become a sheriff. But at this point, you know, he's married, he's having kids, and well, I can't go off to the academy and become a sheriff. That would be irresponsible, and so he's sharing, Mike's going, listen, but 
I kept getting laid off, and it got to a point where I'm like, Lord, I know what else to do. And God spoke to him and said, well, what's in your heart? What did I give you a passion for? Well, to be a sheriff. All right. And so he applied and got accepted and has now worked with the sheriff's department. He's a sergeant with the sheriff's department. And he's going, you know, Barry, if I hadn't gotten laid off three times, I would never have been in the place I am today. I would have been satisfied loading heavy equipment on the back of a truck, which if that's what God was calling him to, awesome. But he knew that it wasn't what he had. Sometimes the storm causes us to get up out of our seat and do something. And if we start understanding that God is a prince of peace in the midst of the storm, that in the midst of the storm, he will redirect our steps, we can end up somewhat really amazing. But we have to trust him in the midst of the storm. And then finally this morning, he wants to minister to our future fears. He wants to bring peace to those places that we are fearful about the future. Anyone have any fear at all about the future? I do. I try not to, but there's things that pop up. The, the, you know, I turn 45 next year, and I'm, now all of a sudden I'm really concerned about retirement, right? Because now it's like, all right, there's less time. And now they're, they're all the commercials, right? The one where like, the people are walking and the lights start lighting, and I'm like... Man, I don't know if I'd hit like three squares. Turn that, change the channel. I don't want to watch that. And isn't it amazing that our culture gets this? And so we're going we're gonna to motivate people through fear? Right? We're going to motivate with fear by our product. Which, by the way, I mean, it's, it's wise, it's wisdom. But the only place where our fear is alleviated is in the presence of God. We don't experience peace through any other place. I know some of the wealthiest people in the world who have no peace. And some of the poorest people I've met in the world, oh, the peace that is on them is amazing because they rest in the presence of God. See, Jesus didn't come just to secure a relationship with us and God to tear down that hostility and then say, okay, I'm done here. Let's, you know, let's just kind of wait out the rest of your life here on earth. He's saying, listen, I want to bring peace for your future. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. And if he knows the plans he has, has for you, should you be worried about it? No. Instead, we should live in a place where we're going, God, your peace, your peace, Allow your peace to be the thing that guides my step. As my mind is fixed on you, as I remain steadfast in your presence, as I know you as my Prince of Peace, that every step I take, I can take confidently, I can take boldly. Right? I, you ever feel like you're just kind of walking like this going, is this, is this the right thing? And we set our foot down, we're like, okay, let me just hang out for it. Like a two-year-old learning to walk. God says, no, 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 I'm calling you in the midst of my peace as I alleviate those fears and those concerns to start building up a stride and start running towards the things I have for you. Why? Because he's our prince of peace. Because he has the authority to determine that road for us. But we need to receive that peace. We need to stay in that place where we're saying, God, be that peace in my life.
Bring that peace that I need so I can walk with you. Let's stand together. Peace with God and a peace from God. We need both. Each of these needs to impact our lives daily. Our focus needs to remain in this place where we're saying, Jesus, you're a prince of peace. As we were singing this morning, coming to the manger, gazing upon this child who will be called and who was called and is called our prince of peace. I love that God chose for Jesus to come as a baby in a form that's really, again, non-threatening. There's something peaceful about a baby, right? Maybe not at 2 o'clock in the morning, but when a baby is sleeping and they've just got, you know, they're making those funny faces and there's just something that in your heart that you just kind of melt, even, even like the toughest guys, right? They're like, oh, and they get all nervous around a baby. And Jesus came in a form that would communicate his tenderness and his care. And that there was an element and an aspect of peace. Back to those angels, as, as Lynn had read earlier, what did they declare? Peace on earth, on those whose favor rests. Can I tell you this morning, his favor rests on you. His peace is for you today. God is delighted with you. And he's given the greatest peace child gift ever given to initiate for you and for me a peace with God and a peace from God that we can't even fathom the sight of heaven. But we know it's good. So Father, this morning I pray that you would allow us to fully receive the peace that you want to deposit in our lives and in our circumstance. Thank you, God, that we have peace with you, that we can walk in intimate relationship with you, no longer separated, no longer enemies, no longer uh, in a place of animosity or war. And God, you made a way for us to be reconciled, to remove the barrier. Thank you, Lord, that we have peace with you. And Lord, thank you that we can have a peace that comes from you. That in the midst of our anxieties, in the midst of the cares of this world, that we can cast those things on you. We can cast our cares on you knowing that you care for us and that you want to minister your peace in the midst of our circumstances. And so, Lord, I just speak to every storm that is waging and raging in this place, in every life. We declare in the name of Jesus peace be still peace be still but Lord I also declare that in the midst of this storm that we would cry out to you and say Lord what are you doing how are you directing my life how are you calling me to walk in step with you Lord because of the authority given to you by the Father you can direct our steps and so we ask you to do that for us I pray this week as we go about our, our business, Lord, that we would have opportunities to share your light and your love with a community who are desperate to know you. And we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen.